and welcome back to the Talking Sense podcast. If you listen to episode one, you'll know that Talking Sense is a project held in conjunction with the Ashmolean Museum, which is all about thinking about the senses in a museum setting in relation to objects that are on permanent exhibits. In episode two of this podcast series, we gave you a rundown of what the workshop days were like in the Talking Sense project. In the following episodes, we'll be giving you the recordings of the gallery talks, which have been the culmination of the Talking Sense project. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Hugo Shakeshaft, Junior Research Fellow in Classics and one of the organisers of the project. He was talking with Helena Guzik, a Deville candidate in the history of art. Their topic was the altered states of body, the power of the senses in ritual and revelry. From ancient drinking parties to modern pilgrimages, objects have the power to transform us. Hugo and Helena explore how a Greek symposium cup with a rather naughty underside and Indian pilgrim stamps engage the senses to alter the body. This talk will be Hugo talking about the Greek symposium cup. Hi there, so I'm Hugo and I'm a postdoctoral fellow in ancient history at Christchurch College. And today I'm going to be looking at an ancient Greek drinking cup. This talk is originally paired with Helena's talk, which is about some Indian pilgrim stamps from the modern era. So as you can already tell, the objects that form this paired gallery talk are not only very different in form and function, but also separated by time and place. They are from worlds apart. And yet what these talks together show is that there are some common themes linking these diverse objects. In particular, the power of objects to engage our senses and transform our bodies, whether in the revelry of an ancient Greek drinking party or in the ritual piety of an Indian pilgrimage. So let's turn to my object, which is this ancient Greek drinking cup, which was made in Athens around 530 BCE. And cups like this were a standard form of vessel for drinking wine at Greek symposia. That's parties held in private houses where men would come together to drink wine, chat, and generally enjoy the good life. And the general atmosphere of Greek drinking parties is summed up in an expression which is often inscribed on the vessels used at them. The expression is kaire kaipie you, which means be of good cheer and drink well. But the wonderful thing about this cup is that it provides a window into the ancient Greek symposium, not just because of its use at such parties, but also thanks to its elaborate and playful decoration. And in a moment I'll turn to the, the manic face in the centre of the cup, but first we're going to have a look at the group of six men reclining in a circle around that face. And it's those features, the fact that it's men reclining in a circle, which shows that this is a portrayal of a symposium, where men would recline on couches set against the walls of a small square room of the house, so that all drinkers were equally included. This cup's interior decoration therefore refers to its function as a drinking vessel used at such parties. In fact, if you look closely, you'll see that one drinker is shown holding aloft a cup like this one. And according to an ancient Greek expression, wine is the mirror of the soul. And for the person who drank his wine from this cup, its decoration also acted like a mirror of his own experience, as it evokes the rich sensory world of the symposium. Greek drinking parties were occasions that appealed to every sense. In Greek, wine is often described as hedupatos kaiwodes, sweet tasting and fragrant, a simultaneous delight for the mouth and nose. Yet as the drinker enjoyed those pleasures when he took a sip from this cup, he was at the same time presented with an image which conveys the inseparability of music from the Greek habit of drinking wine. 
So it was standard practice for symposia to begin with hymns in praise of the gods, and thereafter for drinkers to sing an improvised lyric in turn, moving from left to right as they passed the wine along in the same direction. The movement of song in the symposium mirrored the movement of the wine from one drinker to the next. And in a Greek poem composed for the symposium, for example, the speaker says, pour out the praise songs like wine, passing from left to right. Such songs were often accompanied by music, as we see on this cup. One figure here holds to his mouth the aulos, a double pipe instrument, while the man to the right tilts his head back in a standard visual gesture of singing. And here between them hovers a seven-stringed lyre, another familiar musical companion to the Greek banquet. So as the drinker lifts the cup and tastes the wine, he is faced with a visual image that echoes the musical and acoustic experience of the drinking party itself. Image and song echo one another and come together in the symposium, where the appeal to the eyes, ears, nose and tongue mingle together around the consumption of the sonorous flowing wine, as one Greek poet calls it. M multiple elements of this cup's decoration, then, reflect the reality of the symposium, the reclining posture of the drinkers, their physical arrangement, and the presence of music and song amid the festivities. Yet this image is far from being a photograph of what actually happened at Greek drinking parties. It is an image that playfully combines elements of reality and fantasy to convey ideas and messages suited to the context of the symposium. And to give you a sense of what I mean, you'll see that above the drinkers is a vine hung with big bunches of grapes. And this is clearly not a realistic detail of an indoor drinking party, but an image which is appropriate to the occasion of the symposium, when Greeks enjoyed the blessings of vine and wine, which the god Dionysus gave to humankind. The common Greek view was that humans possessed two supreme blessings from the gods. First, there is grain to eat, thanks to the goddess Demeter. And second, there is wine from the god Dionysus, which provides relief from the pains of human existence. In the words of the playwright Euripides, there is no other medicine for misery other than wine. In its benefit to humankind, then, wine ranks alongside the grain that keeps us alive, while in its divine origin from Dionysus, it carries strong religious significance. For the ancient Greeks, drinking wine was an act of communion with Dionysus. To become intoxicated by it was to feel the transformative power of the god in action. And Dionysus is a god of transformations of all sorts. It's no coincidence that he is also the god of the Greek theatre, where actors would don masks and transform themselves for the entertainment of those watching. And during festivals celebrated in honour of Dionysus, cross-dressing accompanied by heavy drinking was a common phenomenon, which shows how under the auspices of this god, the normal rules are suspended, barriers break down, and people experience his transformative power. And it's precisely that idea of the transformative power of Dionysus that this cup conveys and explores in a variety of ways. First, if you look closely, you'll see that three of the drinkers depicted on the vase are wearing turban headdresses, which were normally worn by Greek women. In the symposium represented on this cup, the normal boundaries between male and female appear to blur, as these men explore their feminine side under the heady influence of Dionysus. But it's not just in the figures represented that this cup signals a transformation. 
for in the centre is a face that stares out at the viewer. So who is this? With her staring eyes and protruding tongue, this is Medusa, a mythical monster who turns to stone, whoever looks into her eyes. Now I said that she stares out at the viewer, but her gaze is not directed at any old viewer, for it is aimed at the one who drinks from the cup. As the drinker brings the cup to his mouth and sips, he sees beneath the wine the face of Medusa staring back at him. To look into the eyes of Medusa is to feel yourself transformed, turned to stone, deprived of all your senses. So as the drinker drains the contents of this massive cup and feels the intoxicating effects of the wine, the image of Medusa becomes ever clearer at the bottom of the cup, confronting him with an image that echoes and confirms the transformation he feels from the wine. But the real brilliance of this cup is that its external decoration also transforms the one who uses it in the eyes of his companions at the symposium. On the outside of the cup, you'll see two large eyes between the handles. This cup therefore also acts like a mask that the drinker effectively puts on every time he lifts the cup to his face and drinks. As he raises the cup, the large staring eyes look out at his fellow drinkers, while the handles of the cup become his ears, and the base of the cup becomes his mouth. But this is no ordinary mouth. If you look closely, you'll see that it's a penis and testicles, a clear sign that this mask cup was decorated for maximum comic effect at the symposium. But besides being a wide-eyed, genital-mouthed creature, who does the drinker become when he dons this mask? Well, the external decoration of the cup suggests an answer. Between those two large eyes, you'll see another frontal face with big eyes, pointy ears, and a beard. This is a satyr, a mythical, half-human, half-animal follower of the god Dionysus. In Greek myth, satyrs are notorious for their wild, drunken antics and uncontrollable sexual behaviour. But satyrs are more than just creatures of myth, for they embody what happens to men when they drink too much, when the animal side of human nature is given free reign by the liberating power of wine. And I mentioned earlier that the Greeks saw wine as a supreme blessing, but they also recognised that it is an ambiguous drink. In Greek terms, it's what's called a pharmakon, which means both a remedy and a poison, depending on how it is used. Dionysus gave wine to humans, but it is up to them to make proper use of it. The wild behaviour of the satyrs and their half-human, half-animal bodies indicate what happens when humans fail to use wine properly. It has the power to break down the boundaries between human and animal, to destroy the established protocols of civilised society, which according to the Greek view, separates humans from animals. And so by lifting this cup to his face, the drinker becomes a satyr in the eyes of his companions at the symposium. By indulging in the sensual delights of the drinking party, he is comically transformed into a satyr, ever hungry for more wine and unable to control his sexual appetites, as the genitals that act as the mouth of this mask cup would suggest. Just like its interior decoration then, the external decoration of this cup blurs elements of reality with fantasy as it makes the creatures of myth part of the lived reality of the drinking party. The rich sensory experience of the symposium with its simultaneous appeal to the eyes, ears, mouth and nose, 
works alongside the intoxicating effects of wine to make the Greek drinking party a place where different rules apply, where men are transformed in revelry with the god Dionysus. For further reading about this podcast and all of the podcasts in this series, please see the attached bibliographies in the show notes. Music for the show was by David Hillowitz, Moment of Truth piano version, provided by freemusicarchive.org. This podcast was presented, edited and produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale. And me, Johnny Lawrence. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.